If you've listened to even a few of these podcasts, then you know becoming a successful Nashville songwriter requires years of effort, working on your craft, perfecting it, and then hoping for that fleeting intersection where preparation meets opportunity, right? Well, this month's guest, kinda. I'm Tom Maley, and this is Write You a Song. Rodney Clawson has written some huge contemporary hits for Nashville's biggest stars. Luke Bryan, Jason Aldean, Kenny Chesney, Lady A, Florida Georgia Line. Not bad for a Texas farmer who never even entertained the thought of becoming a songwriter until one day a friend called him up. It's one of the more unlikely success stories you will ever hear. But before we get started, a big thank you and shout out to Songwriter City for setting up this month's guest. Even though COVID-19 still has everything shut down, Songwriter City has pivoted to creative online virtual songwriter events that can enliven and entertain your staff, your clients, your customers. Just find out more at songwritercity.com, songwritercity.com. And now on with this month's podcast. Rodney Clawson, thank you so much for joining us today on Write You a Song. Appreciate it. Um, I've got a list of, I actually, I got tired of writing down all the songs that you've written that are hits. I mean, you have written <laughs> so many songs that I don't think there's one song on this list that I jotted down that we aren't currently still playing in in one form or another. That's got to make you feel pretty good. Well, yeah, thanks for thanks for playing them because I, I mean that means you're playing some 15 year old songs. So thanks for playing the oldies too. So you grew up on a farm, and your first job was and livelihood was was basically a farmer until. The call of songwriting took you to Nashville. Can you talk about your early years and were you steeped in music while you were uh, growing up on a farm, or has this always been something that that has been in the back of your head? Well, I mean, I grew up in a small town in uh, the Texas Panhandle, and um, I mean, I didn't come from a musical family. Um, My mom put me in piano lessons when I was young, so I learned how to peep to play piano and then I did band and choir in in school and you know sang at church a little bit um but I guess mainly you know I I always loved music growing up I loved listening to music and then as I got old enough just out on the farm to start driving a tractor you know and when you listen to music like 10 12 14 hours a day (laughs) you know it kind of sinks in a little bit and what were you singing along um, to? I mean, I listened to everything. I mean, it's funny because, I mean, I'm talking, uh, you know, the old AMFM radios. So I'd lived 90 miles north of Amarillo, Texas. So um, you could get a couple of country stations, maybe one rock station, and then there were some AM stations, which the kids these days probably don't even know what AM radio is. Right. But, <laughs> There were a few, there, there was a, a couple of, maybe one talk radio station, but you know, so it was kind of, uh, um, I grew up on old school radio like that, you know, to where, when, when you, when a song came out, you know, when a single came out before the record came out, you know, you, and you love the song, you know, you would listen to radio for, you know, 12 hours, you know, hoping they would play that song, yep. you know, a couple of times. So you'd get to hear it, you know, kidding. Well, oh, oh no, when are they going to play it again? You know? So anyway, that's kind of my, the musical, you know, musical history of me growing up. So when you were sitting in the seat of that tractor and you realized, I'm sure early on you realized you could, you could sing pretty well. When did the thought of songwriting pop in when, when you were, uh, I mean, did you, did you first think, oh, I, I sing pretty good. I'm going to give that a try. Or has songwriting always kind of been there parallel? No, I kind of, <clears throat> I kind of have an odd story, you know, about how I got into songwriting. <clears throat> there was a girl that I went to high school with that um, she um, went to Belmont, went to Nashville, went to Belmont, became a music publisher in Nashville. And when I was in my mid-20s, I'd never thought about writing a song. I didn't really ever even pay attention to who wrote the songs on the radio. I was one of those people that always presumed, you know, that Garth Brooks wrote every song that he cut and, Uh you know, and uh, Randy Travis wrote every song that he cut. And, and, uh, 
she called me just out of the blue and she and she told me she said i'm going to tell you something i don't want to freak you out but she said you're a songwriter and you don't know it and i was like what are you talking about and she said um I'm here in Nashville hanging out with songwriters every day and they all remind me of you. Like when we were growing up, you know, they have the same personality. They have the love for music, all that. She said, I want you to try to write a song and send it to me. So I I probably sometime in the next year, I think I probably tried to write a song and send it to her and did that back and forth for a couple of years with her and then had a few connections and i had a couple of connections in nashville like john rich i had uh i coached at a christian school when i was in college and i coached john rich and we had stayed in touch um was he any good he had he had moved from amarillo back to nashville when he was a freshman in high school yeah he would i tell everybody always asking was he a good was he a good athlete he actually was he was uh but he was tall like i think he's five eight or five nine i think he was five five seven or eight when he was in the seventh grade so he was pretty ah. tall for his age back then but he was a pretty good basketball player <laughs> and uh, he had a really bad temper he i had to really we had some go rounds we he would lose his temper during the game <laughs> really but uh yeah imagine that imagine john john rich losing his temper but uh we're still i mean we're still friends today and we've written uh Shoot, we've written four or five hit songs together. I wrote Lost in This Moment with John. That was a big and rich first number one. Lost in this moment with you. I am completely consumed by feeling so absolute. There's no doubt. Stealing our love with a kiss. Waiting my whole life for this. Watching all my dreams come true. Yeah, so I had a couple of Nat John was a Nashville connection. I had randomly a, another college friend or two that had that were in Nashville, and so I guess it was maybe ninety in ninety six. I made my first trip to Nashville. Actually, the first time I went to Nashville, John called me, and and he was in Lone Star then, and Lone Star was going into the studio to record their second record. And he called me, and uh, I can't remember whether it was their first record or second record. I think it was their second record. But he called me and said, hey, Coach, he said, you should fly out here fly out here and hang out in the studio with us. And he had no idea that I was trying to write songs. But when I, So I flew out to Nashville the very first time I ever went to Nashville. John picked me up at the airport. We drove to a studio that's no longer there. It's a big condo building off of, <laughs> there's a big condo building there right off of uh, the Mumbrian. And uh, I walked in the studio and Don Cook was producing their record and all the Nashville session players were in there. And I got to hear him cut no news. Come crying to me. No, don't even pack, don't even look back, baby. Come crying to me. So anyway, that was the very first time I ever set. The very first hour I was in Nashville. That's what I was doing. So I, I feel really blessed to have been able to actually, right off the bat, go, oh wow, this is really cool and. And it didn't take me long to get to the mindset where I realized, like, I think I could do this. And so I spent the next, um, that would have been in 96, I think. I spent the next four years, I would I would, I would, would go out to Nashville for a week every month or two and, and uh, write songs with people that I'd, you know, become acquainted with. And... In 2000, I had two different companies offer me a publishing deal, so I signed my first publishing deal in 2000. So thank you to Andrea Whitaker. Her name's Andrea Tucker now for giving me a call back in the 
early nineties and telling me I was a songwriter because at that point in my life, I was driving a tractor about 12 hours a day and I had never thought about writing a song. Did you so, have any musician aspirations while you were driving that? I mean, were you, were you in a band? Were you, or was this just, no, I mean, I, in the Texas panhandle where I grew up, I mean, it's super conservative, dry counties, which if people don't know what that means, there was no alcohol sales in the county. You had to drive there. So there were no bars and you had to drive, you know, 30 or 40 miles to, to a place where you could actually buy beer or there was a bar. So there was no local music scene or anything. The only, the only music scene was if you sang in church. Uh, and I, I grew up playing piano, but I kind of, in my twenties, I learned how to play guitar, but just good enough to strum and play, you know, accompany myself when I sing a song. Like I tell people I know good enough. I know how to, I know how to play guitar good enough to write a song, but I'm not like a, I wouldn't after, you know, some people think they're really good guitar players, but when you've been in Nashville and you're around the best players in the world, you quickly learn to say, like, I know how to play guitar good enough to accompany myself, you know, or to write a song, you know, which that's basically my musicianship. Um, and, uh, I mean, I I, uh, I can sing pretty good. It's funny because people always ask me, like, have you ever, were you, did you used to be a smoker? And I say, no, I breathed in a lot of diesel fumes and dust when I was driving a tractor. I think that's probably why my voice is kind of has that rat little Don Henley rasp, rasp to it. So, But your story, unlike the other 18 songwriters that I've interviewed, you're the first one where it just sounds like it was destiny. It was just meant to be for you. I've never heard a story like that. Yeah, it's a, it, I mean, it had to have been, it had to have been God looking, at, looking out for me or He's like, I, I guess he's not getting the hand. I need to make it really obvious for him <laughs> <laughs> and send uh, the messenger to him. But I, uh, um, I went years without ever telling anybody that story because it just kind of sounds crazy, you know, and or, or unbelievable. People go like, oh yeah, I bet that's not really what happened. But that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Can you remember so, the first song when you started trying to write the first song? Where you, where you, either you or somebody said to you, "There's something there." That's what Andrea would do when I when I uh, I would send her a song and she would, they were and they were terrible, you know. I mean, you know, beginning songwriter had no idea what I was doing, but she would say like, you know, this one line here or these two lines here. That's awesome. That's that's what. That's what we're looking for. That's what the goal is, you know, and she kind of clued me in on, on how to do it and gave me a couple of books to read. But, I mean, I've done enough songwriting seminars and talked to enough people and been around enough people. It's I, I always say, like, people, people either have the gift of songwriting or they don't. And if you do, you can get way better at it. And if you don't, you're probably not going to get any better at it because – I've known people who wrote their first song and then two or three years later, they have multiple number ones on the chart. And then I know people who have been writing songs for 10 or 15 years and the songs don't seem to, to get any better, you know, but that doesn't matter. I mean, I think the reason people write songs is it can be, it can just be a hobby because it's what you love to do. And that's great. You know, and that's kind of, how I got into it is like, oh, this is pretty cool. You know, I can kind of make my own song up and tell my own story. And, you know, it doesn't not, everything doesn't always have to be about money, you know? So, well, one of the things that, that you said when I was kind of researching, getting ready for this interview, um, and, and other songwriters have echoed this as well. You cannot only write when you're inspired. And I think you said that you, Rodney Clausen, who is one of the more prolific songwriters in Nashville today, you said of yourself, I only write 10 to 12 good ideas a year. I only have 10 or 12 good ideas a year. That's, yeah, and that's correct. <laughs> my, I, my, my bar standard of a good idea is when I get one of those ideas, it's like, if this is written correctly and I don't mess it up, somebody's going to cut this and it could be a single and it could be a number one song. 
But I write, I've averaged my, my uh, publishers, I mean, have added it up. I average writing 160 titles a year. And I know people that write way more than that. And I know people that don't write anywhere close to that. And it's everybody, everybody kind of has their own pace and their own schedule and their own um, process, mm-hmm. you know, that they do. And that's the pro the process for me is I shut, I mean, just because I, I get, I think it's, it comes from the farming background where I would get up and go to work every day. And that's what I do with songwriting. I get up and I go to work, except now work is hanging out with, you know, a buddy or two that I really like hanging out with. And we try to come up with something and make up something cool that we, you know, that we think somebody would want to cut, you know, and sometimes it's not made up too. Sometimes it's a, Hey, this, this really happened to me, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, But a lot of times it's made up. So, Uh, And one of the thing, uh, another thing that you said was, and I love this, and I think too many people uh, shy away from it, and that is just simply dare to suck. Oh yeah, I mean, I uh, I don't know. I think I destroyed like the first hundred songs that I wrote because they were so bad. But (laughs) that's like, I mean, that when you're in the songwriting room, you're kind of as a songwriter or. Anybody who's a creator, whether you're a painter or whether you're trying to write a TV or movie script or whatever you do that's creative and artistic, at some point, most people have put it out there for other people to judge, you know, and you can't be afraid. You got to be, you got to kind of have thick skin and you can't be afraid for people to criticize what you do and you, and it's going to suck some of the time, you know, but we're like baseball. I mean, we're even worse than baseball because, you know, in baseball, they say someone that fails seven out of 10 times is an all-star in baseball, Mm -hmm. you know, well in songwriting, I mean, they say, I think they say the standard average for songwriters and I, I have no basis or background information from some sort. I have no source material for that. Wow, it took go. a really long time to get that out. <laughs> but I've heard like one out of one out of every hundred songs is the average that gets cut for the for the Nashville songwriter who's not an artist who just shows up has a deal and shows up for rights every day. Now I know people that have way higher averages than that, and I'm I know like. My average some years has been one out of 10, you know. So if it's, you know, one out of 10 is in baseball, that's only you're batting 100. Is it like a baseball player a little bit in that you can get on a roll? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. You have, it's funny because there's, you look back, um, it's like there's something in the water sometimes, you know. You look back and you go like, wow, there'll be like a two or three week period where you wrote three or four five songs that got cut and a couple of them were singles and ended up being hits and you're like man what happened those two or three weeks you know because you'll go months at a time without sometimes without you know any activity or and then all of a sudden there'll be like a little like you said in baseball somebody gets on a on a hot streak you know and starts ball really good or a pitcher who gets your pot and starts to win a bunch of games in a row. But, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely like that with songwriting, too, for me, anyway. Well, you like 2015 was like that for you. That's when you were NSAI and BMI Songwriter of the Year. And I think at the awards that year, like, you wrote seven of the songs that were nominated at either the CMAs, the ACMs, or maybe it was it was both of them. But you, you had an unbelievable year in, in, in 2015. Yeah, 2000. 12 through 17 were like really, really good years for me. And it all, you know, it all, everything has to come together too. It's not just like, it has to be more than just writing great songs. It has to be, there has to be an artist that the songs fit. And I, for that period, that period for me, I was getting pretty, uh, everything came together for me. We, we, uh, at Big Loud, which is my publisher, we started to develop the Florida Georgia Line guys and started writing with them. And and then I was having some success with Jason Aldean. And, uh, 
you know, those two artists right there, I've had a lot of hits with those guys. So you have to have an artist that your songs fit, you know, mm -hmm. to kind of get on a roll like that. Now, I, I, I mean, I, I would say the indi indicator that you're hot as a songwriter is when you start getting cuts from people that were not like, no, what nobody would ever thought you would have gotten a cut on them. Like I had a, a band Perry song that went to number two. I had a lady in a bellum number one. What I'm really needing now is a double shot of crown. Chase that disco ball around till I don't remember. Go until they cut me off. Wanna get a little lost in the noise, in the lights. Hey, bartender, pour them hot tonight. So the party and the music and the truth collide. Tim McGraw had never even held one of my songs, and then I had back-to-back -back Tim McGraw number ones. Moon through a crack in the windshield, you hold her close and you'll never forget how her heartbeat feels. No, you never will. Someday when you're looking back, don't you laugh at the memories? This is gonna be one of those nights. And then same the same thing with Kenny Chesney. Gonna take a deep breath and hold it in. Twirl you around to my head spins. Kiss that lips get and wear it thin till it's gone. Till it's gone. Whatever makes you feel like a rock star. Yeah, you can kick it back, chill, you can rock hard. You busted your ass on. Those are like all of a sudden when you get hot and all these other people are oh my gosh maybe i should be i should start looking at and that they'll start cutting songs that are maybe a little outside of the box for them just because you're hot as a songwriter but yeah that was a good a really good role back then and uh so now i mean you know jason aldean's moved on to some other writers that he's liking more and uh which is fine because it's like you know, artists, once they've cut a whole bunch of your songs and had a bunch of hits on your songs, they it's kind of like, well, I've already been there and done that. I need to keep mm -hmm. progressing as an artist and evolving it as an artist. So they have to move on to new writers. And, and Florida Georgia Line guys got to where they write most of their stuff themselves now, you know. So, and that's great. But I'm kind of... I'm kind of in the in between now, like looking for who the next person's going to be for me, or the ne you know the next two or three guys that my songs are going to fit, you know. So well, one of the things that strikes me about your songwriting is you are so incredibly versatile. I mean, you've got you know pop songs like uh, "Bartender" for Lady Antebellum. You've got really rocking songs, like the stuff you've done with uh, uh, Jason Aldean, um, like Johnny Cash. Um, you've got heartfelt songs. Uh, you've got Dirt and uh, Drunk on You, Crash My Party. Um, and the one that really, I was really surprised, George Strait's song, I Saw God Today. That was toward the end of his uh, big run. But, um, yeah, I was so happy to have that George Strait song because um, being from Texas, you know, I grew up listening to George Strait, and I'm more kind of on the rock side of mm -hmm. country, I would say. Or um, So I never thought that I really wrote songs that George Strait would cut. So I felt really, really lucky to get that one in there. 
Just walked down the street to the coffee shop Had to take a break I'd been by her side for 18 hours straight Saw a flower growing in the middle of the sidewalk Pushing up through the concrete Like it was planted right there for me to see The flashing lights, the honking horns All seemed to fade away In the shadow of that hospital At 508 I saw God today I've been to church, I've read the book I know He's here, but I don't look Near as often as I should Yeah, I know I should His fingerprints are everywhere I just slow down to stop and stare Open my eyes and man, I swear I saw God today I got to actually meet him you know, through that process, and, and no, we haven't hung out, but I got to talk to him for about <laughs> 20 seconds a couple of different times, so. And the song was nominated um, for a Grammy. I mean, you know, what a feather in your cap. Yeah, the awards are always always nice to have, but I, I've actually never won. We won, actually, I saw God, God Today won the CMA Single of the Year, and that's the only... I guess that's the biggest award any of my songs have ever won at a at an award show. So I've been nominated for Song of the Year multiple times, but I've never won. But um, so I, I I have to I have to fall in there. It's just an honor to be nominated category. Right. So that's my <laughs> that's my that's my statement on that. So. But it sounds like you're a guy. If the awards come along, great. If not, you're just going to keep doing what you're doing. I mean, I always tell people too. Like my my award comes every quarter when I get my BMI check. You know, so um, um, if you don't mind, I want to go through some of your songs, and I'll just throw the title out. Maybe just give me a backstory if there is one, just on on where the song came from. Okay, you might be disappointed in where the song came from on some of some of these answers. I've heard a little bit of everything, <laughs> and I know, especially with you, I mean, you 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 talked about the process and how. You know, like you said, you have 10 to 12 good ideas a year, and other times you just show up and you start writing and you put in the work. You put in the work, mm. and the songs come from that. And sometimes there isn't inspiration. There isn't a great story that goes behind it, but that's fine. Yeah. There's a lot of books on songwriting and stuff out there, and I've never really read any of them because I feel like you can either do it or you can't. But there, it, what Stephen King wrote a, a book about writing that I really like and I recommend and his, his process. And it kind of was kind of like, yeah, I should probably try to do that more. He's, he gets up and sits down and he writes for, I think he said three or four hours every morning, no matter what, like five days a week. And he said, most of the time he said, I don't really feel like doing it and I don't have an idea, but once I get into the process and the creativity starts to roll uh, a lot of those days I come up with something really good and that's the way it is with songwriting uh, my my first publisher uh, Michael Martin and Jason Hauser at Extreme Writers Group their favorite thing they would always say to us is the old uh, remember the raffles they would have in the gymnasium at the basketball game where mm-hmm. everybody would put their ticket in and they would roll the thing and then they'd pick a ticket out but they would always say you have to be present to win <laughs> yeah, and they would always tell us songwriters that you have to be present to win. You have to show up. You never know what's going to happen. You, the most important thing is that you show up. And so, anyway, okay, you can you can start hitting me with songs now. All right, so a couple of songs that that um, I, I definitely want to ask you about here uh, because they were so different when they first started getting played. I've been in country radio for a long, long time, and I remember the first time I heard Johnny Cash from Jason Aldean. I turned my radio up because I was like, "What the hell is this?" It, it sounded so different than anything else, and, and Crazy Town was kind of the same thing. How much of that was – and that's that's what kicked the door open for, for Jason Aldean and for kind of a whole new style out of Nashville for a while. Um, how close were those songs to what you created, and did you know that that sound or those songs ultimately would be kind of, um, I don't know, uh, uh, landscape shifters a little bit? Um, well, not, not really, not at the time that they were written. 
I mean, I think John Rich had that guitar lick that we wrote that to, and it's funny because we uh, originally originally called the song Never Coming Back, and people would always say, like, hey, man, like, has anybody cut that Johnny Cash song yet? And so we eventually, we just went to the publisher and said, we should probably call this Johnny Cash. With my job flipped off the boss, took my name off the payroll. Screw you, man. Picked up my cell, rang my baby's bell, said I'm three miles from home. I said, sugar, what you put on that sundress I like so much? Way out by the road, I'm coming to pick you up. That song was originally cut the first time by a guy who's still hanging around in the country music scene in Canada named Tebe Otto. And Bob Rock, who was a big rock producer back then, was producing a country record on Tebe Otto in Nashville. And he cut the song. And then I don't think it ever came out. And then Tracy Bird cut the song, and it was on his greatest hits package. And the only reason we let him have it is because they promised us it would be the single. It's 467 miles to the outskirts of Las Vegas. What do you say? Tracy Bird didn't single the song. Jason Aldean cut it and put it out. So that's kind of a little bit of the history of that song. So wow, but yeah, John Rich had that had that lick, and he loved to do that four on the floor, just boom, boom. You know that he mm-hmm. loved to write stuff to that. So yeah, we were, me, me, John, and Vicky McGee. He wrote that song, just hanging out, having fun one day, and there's no story behind the. There's no story behind the idea of where the song came from. It was just like, you know, sometimes when you get the music going, it's just like, what does this sound like? You know, what is the, what is the story? You know, and then you just write words that fit the music. So, all right, uh, sticking with Jason um, Aldean, uh, a song that I'm guessing is probably a little more near and dear to your heart and and who you are, uh, and that's Amarillo Sky. Yeah, I wrote, also wrote that with John Rich, um, and he had that lick, which is, if you notice the intro lick to Johnny Cash and the intro lick to Crazy Town, which John's not a writer on, and the intro lick to uh, Emerald with Sky are all fairly similar. <laughs> and uh, yeah, John, is that John, like I said earlier, I coached John um, at a Christian school in Amarillo, Texas, and his whole family had grown up in Tennessee. And then his dad, his granddad, after World War II, had been a farmer in Pampa, Texas, which is about 60 miles from Amarillo. And he had always told me, like, I want to write a song about Amarillo. We should write a song about Amarillo. And then one one day we we did. He, had, he titled me and he said, man, we should write a song called Amarillo Sky. And we sat down and we wrote it about my dad and my granddad were, were farmers, and his granddad was a farmer, and we just kind of put it all on paper. And, and uh, when I play the song, I always say there's a lot of there's a lot of my dad and a lot of my granddad in this song, and because this was my life for about thirty years. He gets up before the dawn, packs a lunch and a thermos full of coffee. It's another day in the dusty haze. Those 
burning razor wearing down his body. The diesel's worth the price of gold. It's the cheapest grain he's ever sold. But he's still holding on. He just takes the tractor another round and pulls a plow across the ground and sends up another prayer. And I would think also uh, the song that you did for Montgomery Gentry, uh, Where I Come From, uh, is that also coming a little bit from uh, personal experience? Oh, yeah, I wrote that, with, wrote that with Dallas Davidson, and we both just, you know, I mean, I can go back in my mind, it's like a movie, you know, and he can too, any songwriter, I don't know, I guess we have the ability to go back and see where we came from in our head and put it down on paper but but yeah the uh my favorite line from that song was the uh fighting in the parking lot song which <laughs> some people were scared of that line but I'm like you know in the small towns where I grew up if you had a you know if you had a dif- differences with somebody you would you would go to an empty parking lot and you would settle your differences and then you'd shake hand and you'd drink a beer together you know it was like that's the way it used to be, and there, and there weren't any cops around, or the cops would just, you know, say, "Well, we're just going to let them settle it," you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the way it was, you know. So, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, that's another song that has a lot of uh, personal stuff in it. Don't you dare go running down my little town where I grew up, and I won't cuss your city lights. If you ain't ever took a ride around and cruise right through the heart of my town, anything you say would be a lie. We may live our lives a little slower, but that don't mean I wouldn't be proud to show you where I come from. There's an old plowboy out turning up dirt where song American Kids for Kenny Chesney kind of came along um, at a time where Kenny didn't necessarily you know, like need to have a, a new hit, but he was he needed to get back out on the radio with some fresh material. And that song was quite a bit different than what he had been doing. I remember when we first played it, we're like, whoa. And it took a couple of spins before we kind of got it. And then it became, I think it went to number one, huge hit. But it's it's a kind of a departure. It was a departure for Kenny. And, you know, compared to some of your other songs, it seems like it's kind of a, a departure in writing style for, for you. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, I mean, it still has. If you if you look at the lyrics, it still has a lot of the same kind of word pictures in it. But uh, that was like me and uh, Shane McAnally and Luke Laird and I were writing, and Luke had that kind of um, that groove and that little guitar progress, the chord progression on a guitar, and it just sounded unique. It sounded kind of a little bit retro, old school. Um, and he started playing that, and Shane and I kind of looked at each other. And Shane had, I think earlier in the day, we he had, uh, we were working on some song that wasn't really going anywhere. And Shane had thrown out the idea of American Kids, and we just, you know, the song just kind of wrote itself in about an hour. But yeah, that was a that was a good example of just hearing a a unique groove and chord progression that 
we don't hear every day. It's definitely not the first time that chord progression has been played, but it's to our ears in country music. It was like, whoa. And we, you know, made something kind of cool with the little movement to it. The funny thing about that song is Little Big Town had that song on hold for about six months. And they couldn't decide whether they wanted to cut it or not. When Kenny told us, he said, well, I'll cut it. <laughs> Double-wide, quick-stop, midnight, T-top, Jack, and her cherry coke town. Mama and Daddy put the roots right here, cause this is where the car broke down. Yalla dog school bus, kicking up red bus, picking us up by barbed wire fence. MTV on the RCA, no AC in the vents. We were Jesus, Sammy, blue jean baby, born in the USA. Trailer park truck stop, faded little map dots, New York to L.A. We were teenage dreaming, front seat leaning, baby, come give me a kiss. Put me on the cover of the Rolling Stone Uptown, down home, American kids. Rolling up in little pink houses, making out on living room couches, blowing that smoke on Saturday night. A little messed up, but we're all alright. I would have loved to have heard Lil Big Town do that song, too. Though. They, I think they would have done such a great version on that song. But, oh, yeah. But I'm definitely not going to complain about Ken, Kenny. Their, their styles are so different, but I think they both could have done a really great version of that song. And I think the versions of that versions would have been really different. But I would have still loved to have heard their version of it. But Yeah, they both would have brought it in for a landing, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. You've, you've written so many hits for Florida Georgia Line. Um, which are your favorites? Um, I would say Dirt and May We All are probably the two, my two favorite. They're both pretty personal to me. And basically, you know, they you can lyrically, they kind of come from the same place. We were kind of surprised when we found out they wanted to cut Dirt, which they were, it's, they're not, it was an outside song and Chris Tompkins and I wrote that song. And I mean, we really didn't have them in mind at all. We were thinking like Luke Bryan or maybe Jason Aldean or somebody like that. And then when the, the their producer and management heard that song, they were like, Oh my gosh, we want this song. So it actually never left the building. No one else ever heard that song. You get your hands in it, plant your roots in it. Dusty headlight dance with your boots in it. You write her name on it, spin your tires on it, build your cornfield whiskey bonfires on it. You bet your life on it. Yeah, I would say that one and May We All, which I wrote with Jamie Moore, who's also uh, writes for Big Loud. Um, I'd say those are my favorites, but it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like kids. It's kind of hard to say that you have a favorite because Get Your Shine On and Round Here and all those other songs are definitely fun and were cool songs to be on, too.
on May We All, who came up with the line, you learn to fly, and if you can't, then you just free fall? Because that is one of my personal favorite all-time lines in any song. Um, Do you even remember? I think I think I came up with that line. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's funny because it's like uh, anyone who's a songwriter would know that, well, you're just trying to basically trying to find the best line that'll rhyme with May We All. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Fall, call, ball, tall. May we all get to grow up in a red, white, and blue little town. Get a one star, hand me down for to try to fix up. With some part time cash and driving a tractor, find a sweet little thing. Where's your ball cap backwards kind of place you can't wait to leave, but nobody does. Cause you miss it too much. May we all know that nothing ain't cool till you wear the new off the sound of a quarter rolling down the jukebox. Play the Travis Tread right above the Tupac. Or you get lost down some road. Slow rolling with the top off the back of a Bronco. Buy a cold fixer with a cast in lotto. She's smiling with her hair blowing out the window. Where you about to go? Yeah, you learn to fly. And if you can't, then you just free fall. And you kind of walk me up to the, the last question, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. And that is, are there words that you try to stay away from at all costs because they suck to try to rhyme with? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because, but you know, the two the two that immediately came to mind were uh, baby and crazy. <laughs> we hear that that is the most overused rhyme in all of music, and then... Girl and world, you know. <laughs> I'm probably I just have probably PTSD from girl girl world and crazy baby. <laughs> and you just like you learn to like try to not end any any line with either one of those words because you know what you're gonna have to rhyme with in the next <laughs> line and then it's like and it's all in, inside overthinking stuff because then you're like, well, you know, I've, I've got like 190 songs that have this rhyme in it, you know. I mean, you honestly, when I'm in Nashville writing and we're writing, I show up and write every day. It's like you write a song today and then you have to for, basically forget it to, to show up with a clean slate and write another song tomorrow and then for, completely forget that song, and you know, so... That's like having a kid and then having to forget about that kid the next day. You know, you compared your songs <laughs> to kids. That how do you let go of a song? You just you just shut it off. You you have to. You have to just let it go, and then it's going to do its thing. If it's if it's going to happen, it will. Yeah, and I uh, I I mean, early on when I was first learning how to write, I had a I, one of my biggest problems was I would write a song, and then I would send it off to a couple of people for opinions, and I literally couldn't write another song until I got some feedback on the last one that I'd, I'd written. Mm -hmm. And that's like the exact opposite of what we do today, you know? So, um, it's a weird, it's a weird process. I mean, it's just like a, it's a muscle or it's just like a, any other skill, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Or if you're not doing it enough, you get rusty and it takes you a while to get back into it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here after the, the break we've had with the the mm -hmm. pandemic. I mean, people have been, I mean, I've been trying to do a, a Zoom right here and there, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, getting back to Nashville and cranking it up and writing every day, how long it takes to get back in the flow. So. Well, I can't wait to hear what you come out with uh, next. Rodney Clawson, thank you so much for taking uh, about 45 minutes today on, on Write You a Song. You're very generous with your time, and I appreciate it very, very much. Well, we appreciate you guys at radio, and thank you for playing my songs. you want to build a 10 And that will do it for this month's edition of Write You a Song. Thank you again to Rodney Clausen for being our special guest. Thank you again to Songwriter City for helping make this month's podcast possible. And 
Again, even though COVID-19 still has everything shut down, Songwriter City has pivoted to creative online virtual songwriter events that can enliven and entertain your staff, your clients, your customers. Just find out more at songwritercity.com, songwritercity.com. And a huge thanks to you for tuning in again this month, downloading the podcast, sharing it, giving it a good review. Really, really appreciate it. If you have thoughts about the podcast or suggestions, feel free to reach out to me. It's T Maley, M A I L E Y, at Bonneville.com. T Maley at Bonneville.com. And next month on Write You a Song, a young singer songwriter who, along with his young singer songwriting peers, could be helping to redefine country's sounds and styles going forward into the 2020s. Baby, put it all on me. Put it all on me. Singer-songwriter Devin Dawson, next time on Write You a Song. We take a break and break bread on Sunday, then do it all again, because we're proud to be from God's country. I saw-